Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Whether you stumbled on our podcast or connected intentionally, we think you may be just where the next right step of your recovery is about to happen. Faith in your recovery may be exactly what you need. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today from Bloomington, Indiana is Amber Harris. Welcome, Amber. Hello, Randy. Thanks for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you to get to hear your story, what life's been about, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the words of Clint Eastwood, okay? (laughs) Absolutely. we'll take that, and we want it all because we need it. So let's begin. As a young person, you were pretty squared away, and things were pretty good in those early years, yes? Yes. In the early years, I was um, playing all the sports. I was on time to school every day. I was on a roll student. Pretty much was pretty well Just good kid. that child the parents <laughs> hoped for at that time, right? Well, I don't know if I'd take it that far. Okay. <laughs> Maybe an exception or two. Yeah. After all, you are normal. <laughs> we'll give you credit for that here today on Faith in Your Recovery. So what was home life like? Uh, your parents, siblings, how did that play? Um, I have a sister that's about 18 months older than me. And my parents were both very young when they had us. They were um, 16 and 17 when they got pregnant with my sister. And so kids raising kids is a scary thing. For everybody, (laughs) the family, even for those parents, that's got to be a difficult thing. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah, so you went through that. Uh, Did you have somebody else who was there for you? Did you have grandparents near Yes, we had. We were very blessed with um, about eight grandparents due to marriages and divorces, and they all played a huge role in our upbringing. So and you still had a do. good support system and family system in place. It sounds like yes. Yeah. Did mom and dad have any issues of their own that affected your growing up years? Um, My dad's battled alcoholism, and my mom's um, always, you know, worked two or three jobs to keep the bills paid, and um, dad's had some issues with partying, for sure. Okay, so did that add to the dynamics of your life at that time, and if so, how? Yeah, I think so. Um, It wasn't until I hit junior high when I started to have trouble, but that was because I was spending more time with my parents rather than with my grandparents at that age. And um, you see them go through the fights and, you know, there was cheating involved and a lot of things going on that does disrupt a child's life. Yeah, that certainly would. Those adverse childhood experiences, as they call them, take yeah. their toll. So, uh did that lead you into your own struggles? Is that a part of what sent you there? Um, I like to take accountability for everything that I've done, but at the same time, um, yeah, I think so. I think it did, you know, catapult me in it, I guess you would say. They got a divorce when I was 
15 going on 16, and I kind of got put in the middle of it. And that's where it really started to cause me to struggle. You had to feel kind of stretched during that time, kind of like yeah. the old Gumby character that you could <laughs> pull and stretch out. That's and a, that's that a had good. to be one moment you're with this one, one moment that one, and for one at the particular moment, which makes you feel guilty about being against the other, I'm going to guess. Yeah, you get put in the middle a lot. That's a good example. So your grandparents, were they pretty well there for you during that time? Oh, yeah. My grandparents have always been there for me. I've lost a few of them since then. But um, as you get older, you know, they have to loosen the reins and let you make your own decisions, too. And so when you spend more time with the um, disruptive side of the the picture, then that's obviously what shapes you. And you said you were like 15 when all that happened? Yeah, I, I was probably around... 11 when we first started staying with them more and being around okay. them more and because before that we were with our grandparents almost every weekend uh-huh and that's a lot of what my memories are okay the demise of your parents relationship was in that 16 year old ring yeah. yes okay okay so how did you play that out what were you like in school at that time um, I started skipping class, started hanging with the wrong crowd. This is during junior high years, yes? Yeah. Okay, go ahead, tell us some more. Um, started skipping class, hanging out with the wrong crowd, smoking marijuana. Um, I ended up getting kicked out of school my ninth grade year for skipping too much, actually. So, um, I was really behind on credits by then. I ended up dropping out at 16 and getting my GED, so... I didn't finish out my high school diploma. Okay, but you ended up getting that equivalency mm-hmm. diploma, as they called it then, yes? Yes. All right, all right. So tell us more about those struggles, maybe during your high school years, who you were, what you were like, your behaviors. Um, I was still a pretty responsible person. I um, took care of myself for the most part. I worked full-time. Um, I started dating a boy, fell in love with him, and, um, he had his own struggles, his own split family life, and he actually, um, battled drug addiction, and he was getting in trouble, and then that's obviously the crowd that I fell into, too. So how old were you at that time? Mm, 15. Okay, and so you said that prop. You didn't necessarily say, but that probably helped to build your problems, expedite them, cause you to sink lower. Yes. You had been running with the wrong crowd, as you said, and usually that's because we get positive attention Mm -hmm. from those other individuals. Uh, Good, bad, or ugly, that's the case. That's the way it goes. So what were some of the lowest spots you hit during that time emotionally and experientially? Um, During my teenage years? Yes. um, I would say a lot of it revolves around um, Corey. Corey was his name. Um, I ended up having two children with him. But he battled... 
Um, I, we all think that he was bipolar, and they didn't notice it until later on, but he was doing a lot of drugs that I didn't understand anything about. And as I slowly started figuring it out, his world was just crashing. He was crashing all my vehicles. Um, I had brought him out of an overdose several times. Um, before the end of it, he was diagnosed with drug-induced psychosis. So... I'm going to guess that made life pretty unpredictable other than the thought, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And what were the worst things that happened during that time, Amber? Um, just um, never knowing where he was. Um, our relationship was real back and forth. I knew he loved me and I loved him and um, we had a bond like I've never had since. And just seeing it take away every part of who he was and um he ended up just being a shell of himself and he would tell me that the devil would talk to him and um he would just eat so many pills and he was actually using needles which I definitely knew nothing about until I started you know finding the evidence of it and so those were all things that I had to learn and go with the punches and it's hard to see someone go through that and want to save them, and you can't. Don't we wish? Yeah. If that was the case, we probably wouldn't have the addiction issues we have today. Exactly. If we could put the stop to it for those that we love, because I, it doesn't matter who you are in life or how dark you're living. Somebody loves you. Absolutely. And uh, we want the best for them. So take us on a little farther with Corey and what that did, how that played out for him, which obviously had a great effect on you and the two children. Is mm-hmm. it a boy and a girl? Yes. That, that's what I thought. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, I ended up getting pregnant with my daughter when I was 19. Her name's Carly. I had her when I was 20. And he got sober and stayed sober for the first eight months of her life, I would say until he started running with the wrong crowd again. And I always worked, and he stayed home with her a lot. And so um, once you fall back into it, it's real hard to crawl back out. And that was his problem. Most of the experiences we've heard about is you go back to it stronger than you left it. And that's exactly and what he did. got a bigger grip on you than before because some of the personal shame, personal guilt of letting that happen. So you just work harder to numb it, to bury it, to run it out of your mind. Yes, numbing was his big thing. Um, It led to several arrests, mostly for theft or um, drugs or um, causing accidents. He could not drive a car for nothing. (laughs) I had several cars that he destroyed and... um, But he did get sober for the eight months of Carly's beginnings, and he fell back into that crowd. Um, I ended up getting pregnant with my son, Caden, when I was 20. Had him when I was about 21. And through that period, Corey started, you know, slowly becoming someone that he wasn't. He started not caring about things. He started not showing any emotion. Um, he was very erratic. He would disappear. And then when he would reappear, it was like, um, 
just meeting someone that you didn't even know. What was that doing to you during that time, personally? I know your heart was with him and for him, but what was that doing to Amber? It was terrible. <laughs> um, it was it was really terrible. I know I spent many nights crying and um, just begging for him to, you know, see what he was doing to himself and um, not understanding why he couldn't, you know, fix it, stop it. I was still working, taking care of my two kids, and yes, I dabbled in drugs, but I could always walk away from it, and he couldn't do that. And so it, it really sends you down a roller coaster of a ride. Oh, I can't imagine you're in that, that struggle with a heart that cares and a mind, or at least his mind at that time, that didn't care. Yeah. Or at least cared less than it could fight with the battle. Absolutely. How did that play out for Corey in the end? Um, Corey ended up uh, being diagnosed with drug-induced psychosis, and basically... What I like to say is it put him into that state where he was when he was really high on drugs, and he never came out of it. Um, For a while, when he would be sober for a few days at a time or, you know, not high when you were around him, you could see a little shimmer of what he he once was, but by the end of it, he was just a shell of his his self, and he was no longer him. He Looking at him... It was like his eyes would look right through you. He just basically was not there anymore. And he ended up passing away on May 2nd, 2010 from um, what they call drug-induced psychosis induced with pharmaceutical intoxication. He had taken Xanax. How old was he when he passed? Um, It was a month before his 23rd birthday. Okay, so still a very young man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That had to go hard for you and the girls. How old, or excuse me, the girl, your daughter and your son. That's best way to put it. I'll get it here. Yeah. How old were they at that time? Still just infants, obviously. Yeah. Carly was two and a half, almost three, and Caden was um, one and a half. Okay. So that put the responsibility of being a single parent on you, plus dealing with his loss, your own grief, your own pain over that, your disappointments, everything that goes with losing someone you love. Yeah. How did you manage to stay out of the hole during that time? Well, I didn't do too well. Tell us about that. (laughs) You know, you would think... um being someone that watched the one that you love and the father of your children go through that, that that would be the very last thing that you would ever think of doing. And um, that's just not what happened. And I like to say God had to humble me in that area. And now I've seen both sides of the fence. Um, I ended up dating someone that was selling drugs. And I ended up in an eight-year relationship with him. It was very abusive. Um, He was selling marijuana and pills. And that's when I really started down the road of addiction. I started taking um, opioids at first. The access was there, easy to get. On your bio that you sent us, you made a comment. You just alluded to it there. But God had to break you in order to make 
you. Yes, yes. he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, and you feel like that brokenness took place during this time of your own struggles where you turned to the pills, the opioids, the other uh, means of getting high through your addiction, yes? Yes, absolutely. Um, at that time, I didn't grow up in church, never understood God, never sought after God or anything, but I, I did think he existed, but I was very angry with him. Very angry, and I just did not understand, like a lot of people do, how could a good God let this happen? Oh, I've heard <laughs> that question multiple times. Yeah. Yes, yes. And there's not that written answer that's going to satisfy everyone as far as that goes. But it is a, it's a legitimate question to ask. And I am of the belief you can ask God anything. Absolutely. You may not like the answer. Or he may not answer, but you can ask him anything. There are those who believe that shows a lack of faith. It shows doubt. I think it shows a true and real relationship. Christ on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he can ask that question, I don't mean I'm the ultimate one in any way, shape, or form, but if he can ask that of his father, I believe I can ask that as well. Absolutely. And, and I've been there. So you didn't have that relationship with God, but you recognize God as a being and as a supreme power, obviously, yes. I did. Um, the closest I think I got to um, learning about God was when we were teenagers. Corey had been in trouble for drinking under the age. So he got um, community service, and they wanted him to do Bible study groups once a week, and that was something that we did together. And that's probably the only time I can remember doing anything as far as learning about God. So a seed got planted at that time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just that overflow effect. Yes. And, uh, it happens whenever we get around him, that's for sure. Okay, so you lost your husband. He was right at the age of 23. How old were you? Um, I had just turned 23. Okay, so you were basically the same age. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Five months apart. You had the girls. What was your next step? Um, I keep saying that. I mean, your daughter and your son. I'll get it here in a minute, okay? <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. He'll forgive you. All right. I hope so. I hope he's not a big, tough guy. All right. Oh, no. Okay, good deal. He's I short feel, like me. Good. I feel better. He still may be a chihuahua in his fighting skills. He I don't might think mess so. With that. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us how did the next stage of life play out? Well, um, when Corey passed away, I was working full time. I had my own apartment. Um, we were actually not together when he passed away because of, you know, he wasn't himself for a very long time. So when he passed away, it wasn't like, you know, that love wasn't still there. So it was very traumatic for me. But I ended up turning to someone else and I ended up giving up my apartment I lost my job. I ended up moving in with him. And this I can, is the guy you mentioned earlier that was the dealer and had yeah. all the drugs available. You had the eight year relationship. Yeah. With. Okay. And I can see the control and the narcissistic behavior now looking back. But when it was going on, you know, I didn't see that. I thought he cared. <laughs> I thought he was just trying to help. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
hindsight's twenty twenty most of the time. Yeah. In the middle of the battle, we don't always see well. Were your grandparents still part of your life at that time, Amber, or had that just by age, had that separated some? Um, a couple of them had passed away when my kids were babies. Well, when my daughter was a baby. My son wasn't born yet, but um, I distanced myself from them. I took myself out of that equation, unfortunately, and they were always there for me. They would always, you know, come in the blink of an eye, answer the phone for me, but I never reached out. Did you have anybody there you did reach out to, or were you just trying to deal with it all yourself? Um, I would say my family didn't really understand what I was going through because they thought, oh, well, he was just on drugs and he he wasn't treating you the way that you deserved and he did you so wrong in so many ways and they just didn't understand addiction. Now that they've seen me go through it, I'm sure that they see things in a lot different light, but... um. I can recall at one point one of my family members telling me, and it was just a couple months after he passed, that you need to just get over it. That's all you can, you can't do nothing about it. You just need to get over it. And those words have stuck with me through all these years. And it's just like, because he passed away um, right before Mother's Day, right before his birthday, my son's birthday, Father's Day, Memorial Day. So you got all those family get-togethers. And that makes it hard. Don't you wish it was that easy? That I do. You snap your fingers and get over that kind of pain? I do. I've suffered that too early in life. I was 23 when my mother took her own life, and comments that were made still ring in my ears, yeah. okay? And if I could just snap out of it, I would have. I'd love to, but I dealt with that for quite some time, just as you're continuing to yeah. to deal with that set of circumstances. So along with that, uh, you've got all of this going on. When did you start? Tell us a little more about your addiction battle, and then I have a question. Okay. What, yeah. <clears throat> So, like I said, it started out as opiates, and I'm talking like Oxycontin, Opanin, things of that nature, and it slowly progressed into whatever you could get your hands on, and I never used needles, and I never um, made heroin a habit, but I did try it a few times when there was no other you know, source for a pain pill. Once you're sick off pain pills, you're sick. And it's much like, I'm sure, what the heroin addicts go through today, but they seem like they're 10 times worse. Um, it ended up with methamphetamines. And I struggled with that from about 23 until I was about 31, 33. Okay. 33. I've been sober three so years in August. Years. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Three years, did you say, this August? August 17th, 2020. Hooray for you. How did you start the uphill climb? What inspired you to get out of that lifestyle and to change your life? I wanted it. I always wanted it, but it is so hard. Um it truly makes a warrior out of you, I'll tell you that. Um, 
during that eight years of that abusive relationship, I had been thrown out of my home. Um, I had been arrested because um, he was assaulting me, and I called the cops on myself, and I had a knife in my hand, so we both got arrested on that incident, and that was probably the first eye-opener, but I started having seizures. I was unable to work. I was crashing cars due to seizures behind the wheel. Um, I ended up being the victim of a sexual assault. I went through a lot in that period, and um, I eventually had to ask the children's grandmother, their dad's mom, to help me with my children so that I could get better. And that was about six years ago. It took me about a, five years. I read a book a while back. It said the bravest thing you can ever do is to ask for help. Yes. And you took that step. Yes. Uh, regardless of the circumstances or how you felt about doing it, you obviously knew that was the only way you were going to be able to help yourself is by asking for help from someone else. It was terrifying and the hardest thing I've ever done. You know, it's not hard to ask for help when you want to ask for drug money or you want someone to put gas in your car or you want someone to pay your bills, but... It is super hard when you got to ask someone to... Swallow your pride. Yes. And, and, and you got to start admitting it. When you're high and stuck in addiction, you're in a false sense of reality, and you think that you know everything, nobody knows nothing, and you look perfectly normal. You don't need help. <laughs> Why yeah. ask for help when you don't need help? As my therapist described it, um, it's being a meth Barbie. You think nobody can tell you're high. You know, you're just... You're in the next moment, and in the next moment, and you think that nobody can tell. You called that a meth, Barbie? <laughs> yeah, that's what my therapist calls it. I've never heard that <laughs> phrase before. Okay. You think you got it all together, and you put yourself together, the but perfect, you, you definitely don't. Uh, inside, you know better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you ended up asking those uh, grandparents, right, mm -hmm. for help. Did you yeah. get that help? Um, they ended up helping take care of my kids. Um, I was still, I probably took another year of back and forth with my ex trying to get away from him. I did go to um, a, a shelter for victims of domestic and sexual violence where you get your own apartment. And I tried that, but I was still battling addiction. And um, I did get saved about... I think I was 26. Um, the parents of my abuser used to take us to church with them sometimes. And one day they took me without him. I think he was in jail, actually. And the pastor did an altar call, and I just started crying. And I stood up, and I walked up, and I got saved that day. And I think that that's when the Lord really started working on my heart. But at the same time... I got assaulted right after that happened, and I'm still battling the d abuse and the addiction, so I wasn't seeking him. And um, now that I look back, I can see that all play out. But what an important thing that was, that moment, to make that kind of decision, because oh, obviously you draw upon that decision Oh, today. goodness. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little more about that. Tell us about the, the walk you're experiencing now. You're nearly three years clean. What's life 
like as far as the family goes professionally i know you're into a to an experience that you labeled girls gone wise ministries we want to hear about that want to hear about your faith journey tell us about some of that all right um so i finally got out of the abusive relationship and um, not long after i got arrested for a possession charge and it was there Jesus found me in a jail cell. Um, I had a seizure while I was in population, and they took me to a padded cell because there was no infirmary. So all I had was me, a blanket, and a self-help edition Bible that a friend had given me. And it was there that I started reading the red letters, and it just all started making sense to me. And it has totally changed me from the inside out. I mean, I still have my faults like everybody does. but Absolutely. I got out of jail, and I was... Hold it. I want to back up a minute. You said you read the red letters. Mm -hmm. I know what that means. <laughs> Tell the folks what it means for those who may not know. When you're reading the red letters, you're reading Jesus' words. Yes. Straight from the mouth of the Son of God. Those are his quotes. That's <laughs> our touch with him, those red-letter words. Yes. There's the red-letter edition of so many Bibles, mm -hmm. and that's what you're looking at there. Not every Bible has them. Not every Bible needs to have them. But when it does, that's the good stuff. Yes, yeah, it really calls yeah. attention to it for those that don't understand it and don't know what to look for. Yeah, we like to be as clear as we can be here on Faith in Your Recovery. There are terms that you use from different communities and cultures that not everybody understands. And I wanted them to hear the red letter words. Those are Jesus words. Folks. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And they carry the weight. They carry the weight. Tell us more about that. So um, it was there that when I was in the holding cell and I first opened my Bible, the first thing that um, Jesus started teaching me about was um, what Paul tells us in Romans 13 and um, respecting your authority. That really set me on a, um, a journey to where I'm at now. I started realizing that it's not those people that put you in that position. It's you that put yourself in that position, and you should still respect those. And he talks about how God places those people in your life for a reason. and We don't always like that reason, no, do we? <laughs> we don't. It goes back to what you were saying earlier when you were talking about some things we do because we want to, some things we do because it's right to do them. It yes. Regardless of how badly we want to do it, if it's right, we better be doing it. Absolutely. And that's the way it was with this and you and authority. They'd always been the the evil ones, the enemy. Yes. And now you're coming to realize they're there for me. Yes. If I hadn't been in this situation, I wouldn't be dealing with them. Yeah, that was a huge eye-opener for me. And um, when I got out, I was um, sentenced to a year on probation. And that was going okay until COVID hit. When COVID hit, I slipped. And I started just drinking and um you know dabbling again until one day I couldn't they reopened the courts and I couldn't reschedule my appointment anymore my drug and alcohol counselor said you have to come in or you're going to jail I'm issuing a warrant so I did and I failed um 
they wanted to send me back to jail, and I begged them not to. And she asked me, why shouldn't I send you to jail? And I said, because jail won't help. I need services. I need I need help to understand what's going on with me. And That I, shows such an insight yeah. right there. Go ahead. Um, I needed help to understand what was going on with my mind, why I couldn't turn away from it, and what I could do to fix my um, emotional trauma, the physical trauma, just all the underlying issues. And jail wasn't going to help. In Greene County, there are no services. Um, you were lucky if you got church once a week. And if you did, her name was Georgia, and she's another person that's really inspired me to go down the path I'm on. Um, she would come once a week on a Wednesday for one hour uh, from a local church and just be the church. And so I slipped up, and they let me go to rehab. I did that for 28 days. And I came from the country to Indianapolis, and I was totally out of my element. But, man, did I learn a lot. Um, they say knowledge is power, and it truly is. Um, I learned that in one of my accidents, I had what they call a pseudo ball bar effect, which is um, the front part of your brain that uh, controls your emotions, tells you when you should laugh or cry or be sad. Um, those were all kind of jumbled up. So they put me on medication, and they started working with me, teaching me about my addiction. Um, I started doing the therapy when I got out of my 28-day program. I completed that, and I was just doing therapy, and I was, like, all in. And I don't even—I would like to say I remember the day that I said, I'm going to go to school for ministry, but I don't. Um, I just remember coming out and being all about God, all about the Bible. I, I couldn't work yet, didn't have a license. I couldn't, I didn't have money, obviously, so I just stayed at my mom's, and I read the Bible, and I started applying for classes, and I graduate now in May. So, what is this? You said, I'm assuming you're talking ministry school that you're graduating mm -hmm. from. That will qualify you for what? You know, I don't know, Randy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm taking biblical studies right now because I don't want to be a, a false teacher. I want to teach, you know, what Jesus wanted us to teach. And so I'm learning what I never was taught. And um, I'm taking what I'm learning and I'm taking my experiences and I want to take it to the female inmates of the local jail that has that no services. That was my next question. How do you want to use this? And you're answering that. Well, I want to help them learn about their traumas, their substance abuse, their, you know, mental illnesses. And I want to help them come to see it from a biblical standpoint is my ultimate goal. I want to bring church to them because they obviously can't go to church. But and with you, COVID, there's still restrictions. So. Yes, yes. A Better Life, Brianna's Hope, our support and recovery movement, April 4th, I believe it is, we will be taking our chapter into the jail in my local community, Jay County, Indiana. We'll have two chapters. We'll have one for the guys at 1 o'clock, one for the gals at 2 o'clock on Tuesdays. We're a faith-based recovery movement. So that's going to give us that option and opportunity to share recovery 
and to share Christ. So it's a pretty neat opportunity and it's something that they've not had anything like we can provide. And that's what you're saying. Yeah. That you want to be able to give what you wish you could have gotten. Exactly. And a lot of people ask me, well, what, what degree, what's that degree going to get you? What, what job are you going to go well, after? There is no job title for it. Yeah. It's the knowledge. Yeah. It's what it's going to get you to that point of knowledge and a greater understanding of the word that you can share it better and more accurately, which is so important. Absolutely. And I'm just following the good Lord's lead. Um, I don't know where it's going to lead me. I do know. I started observing um, educational classes that they just started for the Greene County Jail, which is huge. So I'm very excited about that and where it could possibly lead. I am excited overall about where our our uh, system of law, I'm not sure what I should say, is making some changes and opening the doors. Is it fast enough? I'm not sure. Maybe it's not totally our fault. Maybe there aren't enough folks like you willing to walk through the door when it's open. So why should they open it and give false hope? I get it from both sides, but that's neat. So is that why you told us you were a part of what's called Girls Gone Wise Ministry? (laughs) Girls Gone Wise Ministries. Um, I'm a board member now. Uh, It was created by a couple of my friends. One of them is actually Corey's cousin. Um, She's in recovery, too. She's about to celebrate. She just celebrated three years, going on four, I'm pretty sure. Um, But they started it, and at first it was just kind of like a recovery group of women. And it doesn't have to be drug recovery. It can be recovery from anything, eating illnesses, codependence, you know, um, making boundaries, Obviously, drug or sexual addiction, um, recovery the, from many things. We anything. all need recovery from something. Absolutely. Maybe it's a job loss or an accident that caused some sort of handicapping condition. Absolutely. So recovery is important. Tell us more what your role is in that. Um, I just became a board member a few months ago. So um, I haven't really played too strong of a role yet. I've been part of it for over a year now. Um, At first, they just started out like as, you know, a small group. And now there's quite a few women that come on and off. And there's five or six board members, I think. But we have it once a week in a local church in the basement. And we're praying for a building. And our, our hope and our goal is to open a transitional housing, a sober living, if you will, for people that are coming out of jail and need a place to go until they can find a place to go recover and find the help that they need. Yes, without being just thrown back into the streets and expected to do right. That's awesome. Amber, you've come a long way. I know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't want to make this sound juvenile, but getting back to that youngest person, those elementary years, that kind of caring, that kind of life commitment after being through a bunch. And that says a lot about you and the God you serve. Absolutely. I now have my own place. My children live with me again. I'm just full throttle. I work two jobs and I'm just, I hope to bless others with that which I've been blessed with. 
Well, you've blessed us by being here today, and we greatly appreciate that. A closing question here. Okay. The title of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What does that mean to you, those four words? You know, I've listened to a lot of your episodes, and every time you ask that question, it gets me thinking. So today I wanted to sit down and, you know, really study the word. And I looked up a few things, and faith, um, it's usually meant towards reliance or trust in something. And I got um, a definition for it. It says, of things hoped for, the evidence for, or convincing proof of things not seen. Such reliance enables the believer to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Isn't that the truth? That's neat. Um. I'd say faith in my recovery is just knowing that if the good Lord brought me to it, he's definitely going to bring me through it. It's knowing that if I fall eight times or if I fall seven times, I can get back up eight. It's knowing that what I've hoped for can come to pass as long as I just keep doing the next right thing. The next right thing. Mm -hmm. We oftentimes talk recovery is about the next right step. Yes. Well, it's the same. You know, those are interchangeable words. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we close, Amber? Um, I would just like to thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate you having me on here, and um, I'm really interested to see what you do next. Well, thank you. You're uh, welcome. We appreciate your willingness to join us. Folks, once again, we are Faith in your recovery. And we do not believe you came this far to only come this far. So keep on keeping on. Take that next right step. Keep your eye on the prize and believe. Believe in yourself. Believe in your journey. Believe in God. God bless. Amen. <music>